Hi, welcome to another teaching message from Sycamore Church, Ibadan, Nigeria. So I don't know if you've ever thought about the fact that something can be, something can be really grand, really beautiful, a great thing, but right in the middle of that, you can have a very messed up experience of it. And so I had an experience when I was on campus. I remember I was in maybe 200, oh, I think 300, 200 level. And at the time, the pastor of my fellowship was going to graduate, and so they had this finalist um, FYB dinner. And so he was like, ah, oh, we should all come and support him. And so he insisted I must come for his FYB dinner. I'm like, what's my business? Anyway, um, made me buy a ticket at the time, maybe like 1,500 now of your money. Bought a ticket to go for a dinner, um, put on a suit, um, locked my neck, good tie. Um, yeah, it, it felt good that day. These days when you look at those pictures, it doesn't feel great. But, um, you know, I remember going and... Of course, I was going for a dinner. These people were going to have fun. It was their finalist dinner. They were really going to have fun. For me, going for the dinner, I didn't have that much business with all that stuff. Um, of course, I had to be thinking about the food. The food was like the big part of this dinner. That's what was going to make my money worth it, right? And so I was definitely going to eat. You know, there are dinners you go for, for ambience and pictures. But there are dinners you go for, and you know, I have business with the food. Like, me and that food today, right? So I, I remember going, and I was just really thinking about the food, and that it must be worth it. Or they should now go and mess up and all. So I got there, there was all the lights, all the beauty and all, and I remember sitting on the table, there was a lady somewhere there, and maybe one or two other people. And then we got served. So um, dinner, you're using fork and knife, and you know, which we use at home. <laughs> but anyway, so you're using fork and knife and everything, and eating, and then, you know, I, so I remember there was this particular piece of meat um, on, on the plate, and I looked at it, and you know, you, you test it out, right? It didn't really, like it didn't just cut. Uh, okay. So I was going to, but you know you can't go too hard. It can go wrong if you like use the knife hard. It can just, ah, you know. So you're trying to, so I was kind of, at the time I had been a Christian for about four or five years. Um, I don't know if it was my Christian level, but Satan spoke to me. <laughs> Satan spoke to me and told me to put it in my mouth. So, I obeyed Satan. <laughs> in a moment, you know why it was Satan. I obeyed Satan. I put it in my mouth. And, you know, trouble started. So, it's gone in. It has to go down. It can't come back out. And it ha- something has to happen fast. It's hard. It's not going. It, it became, like, terrible. Now my mouth is full. Now I'm, like, I'm hoping nobody talks to me because I can't talk now. I'm trying to drink water. Nothing is working. The meat, it, nothing is working. It's there. It was a setup. Satan tempted me. I did it. And Satan spoke again. He now said, swallow it. And I obeyed. And so I, I, I start trying. It wasn't really good. I was trying to force it. I drank what I, I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know what I was thinking, friends. And struggled, struggled, put my head down. And somewhere, this is a dinner. People were laughing and dancing. I was struggling and sweating and all of that. And here I am. And of course, I'm wearing a tie. So it's all. And I'm, I swallowed it. And as it went down, it felt like they drove a car through my throat. Like it was horror. Here's the thing, in a beautiful thing, you know, you can be having a messed up experience. Like for you, it can be a struggle right in the middle 
of a beautiful thing. I remember walking home that night. I was sore. I was hurting my throat. For a while, I had PTSD when I just see me, like, you know. Um, for, someone, for someone else, right in that beauty, they were having somebody else who was there that day. Maybe today recounts that as, like, the best moment of my life. It was beautiful. We took pictures. We made memories, all of that. But for me, it was a messed up experience. This was never the plan. This was not the plan. I'm wondering, what was the plan as they were setting up for that dinner? As somebody was decorating and as they were arranging lights and like, man, they were planning that it was going to be a beautiful night. Everybody who comes here would have a time of their lives. They will make memories. That, that was the plan. The plan was not that one young 20-something-year-old guy would be somewhere at the corner, you know, struggling, you know, hiding and, and saw going home with, with hurt and with pain. That was not the plan. You know, when they were... One caterer somewhere was boiling meat and frying it. And, you know, they were frying it. The plan was that some people are going to be, you know, having an, a happy occasion. And let's fry it very well. Let it be hard. They, they, will, they will be rejoicing. They would have, like, a happy occasion. They were driving the food to the venue of the dinner. The plan was that this was going to be beautiful, you know. And the question is, are we experiencing the plan? You know, was this the plan? And today I want to ask in this church service, we've gathered here, beautiful things going on, worship and all of that. But I want to ask, what was the plan when Jesus was dying on a cross? When Jesus was paying the price for sin? What, what really was the plan? What was, was, was the plan? What was the experience that he was bleeding to give? Was it that somebody in a corner of this beautiful church service would, yes, be in all the beauty and, man, just check out a beautiful service. We can be together and all of that. But we'll just be in a corner struggling and they don't really understand. There's all the beauty. There's all the lights. There's the glamour. There's the joy out there. But somewhere here, it's just the struggle and the pain. Was it that somebody would walk out of this church again this morning and it would just be, maybe it's just a sexual addiction somewhere. Maybe it's just some habit that I'm not even proud of. Just some habitual failure, the constant pain that comes from that. Maybe it's just the private public life, you know, um, 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 you know distinction that I'm something in public. But, you know, just because of habits I'm not proud of, I'm something else in private. Was that the plan when, like, Jesus was setting up redemption and going up a cross? Was that, was that the plan? And that's what I'm asking today was... Was that the plan? When prophets were prophesying and heralding our salvation, that there's going to be a savior, Jesus is coming. And God was laying all of this up when he was born of a virgin and angels were singing like, man, salvation has come. What was the plan? What was the plan? When Jesus refused to compromise and he suffered for me and he walked that, 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 that sinless life and when he went up on the cross and he was brutally murdered, he had no business dying this death. His justice was taken away. He died a death that I deserved to die and as he was stretched out and as he said, it is finished. What was the plan? What was the plan? When he rose triumphantly on the third day and he conquered death and he ascended to heaven and he said, I'm going to come back again. And as he was leaving his disciples and said, see, I'm with you till the end of ages. What was the plan? That's what I'm asking today. Was it for some high sounding, beautiful salvation thing and it's glamorous and all of that, but it just leaves me in one corner struggling. What was the plan? Galatians chapter five, verse one, it says, Christ has freed us so that we may enjoy the benefits of freedom. Therefore, be firm in this freedom and don't become slaves again. Christ freed us so that we will enjoy benefits of this freedom. That was the plan. That, that was a plan of a freedom that I'm bringing to them and we're going through all this trajectory and prophets and history and the whole play out of the gospel. We're doing all of that so that there will be a freedom. And he said, hey, be firm. Be firm in that freedom. Don't become slaves again. 
And today, whether you came to church, maybe in the thick of an addictive habit that is destroying your life, or whether you're even far away from all that kind of thing, maybe right now you're in the best seasons of your life, you're coasting, your life is just where you want it to be. My burden for you today is to just try and cast a vision of this freedom that God is talking about. Let's try and look at it together, what it looks like for us, and what it offers us, what it's bringing us into. And so that would play out in different ways. For some of us, that's going to be real help and deliverance over the next two weeks just in the things that we struggle with. And for some of us, it's just going to be a firm footing and wisdom of the directions that we should be walking in. Really kind of like maximizing the potentials of what God has called us in. Let me say this today. I want to tell you something about the devil. I've been saying this for a few weeks now, but let me tell you something about the devil again today. The devil will do everything he can do to stop you from being a Christian. Like he will, the day you are trying to go to church and you knew you give your life to Christ, you know, he made that your bad friend come, the day you are trying, he will do everything he can do to block a chance for you to give your life to Jesus, for you to be saved, for you to be a Christian. He will do everything he can do, like he will do everything because he knows that, man, if you ever get to be a Christian, by that I mean, if you ever get to put your trust or your faith or your dependence in Jesus for salvation, to say that I'm coming to God through Jesus, if you ever make that decision to say I'm a child of God the devil knows man you have access to life he knows you are God's own he knows man you've come into something amazing like what you are in a right standing with the God who made everything he will do everything he can do to stop you from doing that but here's here's the deal if he can't stop you from being a Christian he will do everything he can do to mess up your experience of being a Christian he will do everything he can do to make you you know be in a beautiful experience but to be a struggling person so here you are, you wore the tie and you wore the suit. You went for a beautiful dinner, but you're choking. Your jugular is, you know, you are messed up. He will do everything he can do to make you a struggling person in a beautiful experience. You know, if you read through the trajectory, of, if you read through the story of the Bible, you, you probably know about the Israelites who were in Egypt. And for, for us, maybe that's like a type and shadows, a beautiful picture of our salvation journey. And so theologians believe, Bible scholars believe that 3 million, at least 3 million, some estimate 5 million Israelites came out of Egypt, that when God sent Moses and said, bring my people out, there were at least maybe three million Israelites. Imagine three million people coming out of Egypt, and and that's huge, like that's a nation, and Moses is leading them out. Um, But what's interesting is that for us, this is a type and a picture of us being born again, that Egypt for us is like the past, it's like the bondage that the devil had us in, and God comes to us, and he brings us out of it. So that's like a picture of salvation, that we are born again, we are brought out of Egypt. So that's what God was typifying with the Egyptians. Okay, so, fantastic. Only what do you do to my wife? Ah, there is a handheld. Can I use a handheld? Thank you. So, Mayu is playing Liverpool today. And so, thank you. Ah, I can't see you now. Even when I don't see you, you're walking. I'll never stop. You know. Okay, let's try this one more time. Okay, let's see if. Okay. Babe, I'm actually confused. Which one should I use? You are my right now wisdom. Sorry? Okay. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Telling me what to do since 2014. That's what marriage is. Okay, so here we are. 
If the devil can't do anything to stop you from being a Christian, he'll do everything he can do to stop your experience of being a Christian. All right? Do not mess it up. And so we've seen that. What happened with the Egyptians is that they, the Israelites, they came out of Egypt. God brought them out of Egypt. And so Egypt is a type and a picture of bondage and the past life that I had. And what God did is that he came and he brought me out. But, but, but let's, let's stop there for a minute and look at that. Because from Egypt, where God brought them out of, to the promised land, here's this, is about 361 miles. Simple, 580 kilometers, right? You knew that, okay? So 361 miles, 580 kilometers from Egypt to the promised land. So God brought them out from here and he says, hey guys, I'm bringing you out of Egypt so that I can bring you into a promised land. We're going to go a distance of 580 kilometers, okay? Stay with me. And so God brings them out. So let's try to understand 580 kilometers. Let's say you walk from University of Ibadan to Challenge. University of Ibadan to Challenge, that's about 13 kilometers, okay? So if you walk from University of Ibadan to Challenge and then walk back, that's like 26 kilometers. Now imagine the Israelites actually got to do that every day. Like they walk, some of you are like, hey, walk from you. Like, wait, I'm not, they were not lazy. Like in those days, they used to walk, all right? So if you walk from University of Ibadan to Challenge and walk back, all right, just in a day, all right, you'd have gotten 26 kilometers. Now, if they did that every day for 22 days, they would have gotten to the promised land. Guess what? 40 years later, they were not in the promised land. It took them 40 years to cover a distance of 581 kilometers. 40 years. And guess what? It's not that they didn't know the way. They had already sent spies there before. So they were basically going round, 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 trying to get somewhere. 40 years. 3 million people, in fact, died. A whole generation died. So they did like 3 million burials. They did like 3 million naming ceremonies. And then 40 years later, they are getting to where they could have gotten to 22 days ago. Do you see what's happening with them? Do you see a picture of God brought them out of Egypt and then they're kind of going around a journey and circling the place? Do you know that sense of, ah, and this tree, we've passed this tree before now. Ah, and two weeks later, ah, three years now. Ah, two weeks later, ah, we're here. Oh. Then you come back again, ah, here, here. And they'll complain again, we're here again. The same habit, mama, 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 we're here again. And today, you know what I want to speak to you for a topic is here again, here again. Do you know it in your life? That yes, I came out of Egypt, but ah, here again, here again. Two weeks ago, I told myself not here again, here again, here again. It's not that we've not been working. It's not that they sat down for 40 years, they were moving. Moving, 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 moving. Here again. Here again. I've been putting in effort. Do you know that I'm back here again and all that familiarity that it comes with? Because, see, God has made us promises of the new. He brought them out of Egypt and said, see, there is a promised land I want to take you in. There's a promise of the new. God has made for us promise of new horizons and there's a new that I'm bringing you into. But let's tell ourselves today, part of pursuing the new that God is bringing us into is letting go of habits of the old. It's letting go. Because what we see with the Israelites is that salvation is in three tenses. There is a past tense, there is a present tense, and there is a future tense of salvation, scripturally speaking. There is a we were saved. Man, God did something. He came into Egypt. He brought us out of Egypt. And man, he destroyed Pharaoh. There is a we were saved when we speak of salvation. There is a we are being saved, a present tense of it. And there is a future sense of we will be saved. 
What do I mean? There is a, we were saved from the penalty of sin. And it's called justification. That once and for all in what Jesus did, it was accounted to us and we were justified, declared free and all of that. It's called justification. In, it's a, we were saved, we were justified. But there is a, we are being saved. It is called sanctification. That we are walking out the process of salvation, all right? And what does that mean? We were declared free from the penalty of sin, but now we are dealing with the power of sin. It is sanctification that we're in that tension of becoming like Christ and all of that but there is a promise of we will be saved and there there's going to be the, the, the presence of sin is going to be taken away so there's the penalty there's the power but there's the presence of sin that will be taken away and it's called glorification so there's a we were saved there's a we are being saved there is a we will be saved but I want you to look at Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 again because it says Christ has freed us so that we may enjoy the benefits of freedom Therefore, be firm in this freedom and don't become slaves again. And what I want you to see today is that if we'll be honest for a good number of us, a good number of us at different times in our lives and all of that, if we are going to enjoy this benefits of freedom that he calls us to, because there's where he has brought us from, there's where we are, and there's where he's taking us to. If we're going to enjoy the benefits of freedom that he calls us to, then some habits need to be broken. Our habits are a big expression of who we are and the reality of our lives. In fact, our lives run at the rhythms of our habits, whether positively or negatively. So whether it's the little boy that is bedwetting or it's the grown-up man that is always losing his temper, our lives run at the rhythms of our habits. And what I want you to see today as I try to link this into the Israelites is that the devil is not just big on sinful habits. There is sinful habits and sin is sin. We call it out. They're sinful habits. But the devil is not just about sinful habits. See what the devil is about. He's about, you know, destructive habits. The big idea is that God has brought you out of an Egypt and he's trying to take you into a promised land. So anything that will stop you from getting there. And so there are habits that are just counterproductive. They're not sin questions. So whether for you it's like I'm addicted sexually and there are all those habits that are just ruining my life. It's stopping you from going into the promised land. Or whether for you it's that I wake up every morning and I'm just scrolling through comic skits uncontrollably. It's also stopping you from a call of destiny. The devil is not just about sinful habits. He's just about counterproductive. The point is, am I able to stop them from pushing into the full life, the beautiful experience that God has for them? It says, Christ, what was the plan? The plan was that there is a freedom that we would live with. And today, what will be on top of your mind as we speak about habits um, that are counterproductive? Maybe for you, it's just some looseness and lavishness, even with your money. The way you earn it, the way you spend it, just ways you cannot even explain. Um, before the money came, there was a plan. As it comes, it's just, it just never happens. You know, you can't hold anything together for yourself. You can't take any serious step in your life just because of your money habits. Whether for you, it's maybe even just stuff around social media, you know, you can do wonders with your keypad. Wonders. You can tear the world down with your keypad. And you do it effortlessly. Maybe for you this morning, it's that you have even been promising yourself that you're going to be a tidy person, a consistent, you know, that I'm even going to lay my bed every day before I go out. You're even going to do it this morning, just that you are coming to church, so you just didn't start today. You know, but there's always just that sense, well, I'll be tidy, I'll be orderly, and all of that. The only thing you have not fixed is when you are going to start, because it's always like it's tomorrow, it's tomorrow. It's tomorrow. In fact, that procrastination thing, eh? ah, you've been telling yourself you will stop procrastinating. It's just that you've been telling yourself you'll stop procrastinating tomorrow. So, the problem we have with procrastination is that, like, you are big on procrastination, you 
you've read about it, you know everything about it. So you've been promising yourself you are stopping procrastination. It's just that the date to start is tomorrow. So in fact, with everything you know about procrastination, you want to write a book on procrastination. You know the topic. You know how you are going to write it. You've just been procrastinating writing the book on procrastination. That's just the... But what would you say it is with you this morning? Um, maybe it's just even the way you lie. Maybe it's substance abuse. Maybe it's... On one hand, some habits are sinful. But what I want you to see, and God really needs to deliver us from them. But what I want you to see is that on the other hand, some habits are destructive and we need to deal with them. We, because if we're going to come out of them, we're going to go into the promised land. We need to deal with them. Let me ask you this morning, why did Adam and Eve fall? Because you can say Adam and Eve fell because they disobeyed God, they ate the fruit and all of that. True. But think about it again. Maybe Adam and Eve fell because Eve had a habit of talking to strangers about God's dealings in her heart. Perhaps. So the devil is big on just getting us to circle around the wilderness and just not be the people that God calls us to be. We just barely get by, but just never really enter the fool, okay? Or maybe for you this morning, even as I say habits, it's just your habit of that, that snoozing the alarm, snoozing the alarm. You know, you just, you don't even know when you did it. You just know that you woke up and at some point I probably did this. Like it's so natural, I just snooze it and all of that. And it's not a heaven or hell question. It's not a sin, okay? It's not that, you know, um, your name is in the Satan. No, 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 it's not a sin. But the point is, if God brought you out of Egypt and God says there's a sense of where I'm taking your life, whether it's in business, whether it's in the things God is preparing, whether it's in destiny, just that sense of a way of God's career and God's, call, God's, God's calling on your life and all that God wants to do in your life. Ah, You'll deal with that habit of snoozing. You will. It will just keep circling you. You'll just be circling, 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 circling and never really come into anything great in your life. Let me say this to you. As we talk about habits, there are three areas that I think all of us must be checking ourselves constantly and saying, am I healthy? What kind of habits? Because my habits are running the rhythms of my life. Three areas that we should constantly just be checking out and saying, you know, are we healthy and all of that? The first is, what are your habits around power? What are your habits around power? How are you handling influence? And when I say power, I'm not just, I'm saying, are you a power grabbing person? Are you a power drunk person? Are you power obsessed, you know? And I'm not just talking about whether you will kill people to win an election and all of that, you know? Those are just bigger expressions of the same principle. Whether it is influence over your younger sibling. Some of you know that you get home and your younger sibling is dreading your coming because just the way you use power, like power drunk, like, hey, come, stand up, go, 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 go. Shout out to every last born who, and ah, no, don't let's talk about that today. But, but, but some of you know what I'm talking about, like power, power. And I'm asking, what are your habits around power? You know, or maybe even a parent, maybe a parent here. Let me talk to you, a parent. You just spread your legs. You call your child. Come on. You don't just say, okay, oh yeah, come. Uh, uh, give me the control. So, if you're here, your name is Dolapo. Not necessarily talking about your mama, but perhaps you're like, yes. You know. Um, power. The temptation to misuse power was one of the core temptations that Jesus faced. And I promise it's a temptation you will face. To have a sense of influence and power and to just use it, build unhealthy habits around it. Second one, you must be thinking about money. 
money? What are your habits around money? What are your habits around earning? What are your habits around spending? Will you do anything to earn? Will you spend in any way? What are your habits? What kind of habits do you have? We must constantly be checking. What are your disciplines around money? Because listen to me, if you're going to come into the promised land, the promised land, that sense of destiny, that sense of where God is taking you, big things, and you're saying, man, I have dream of a big future, of big things, of big, listen, big things involve big money, and you have to be the kind of person that can be trusted with big resources. Do you get what I'm saying? So do you have habits that look like a person that can be trusted with big resources? What are your habits around it? Thirdly, what are your habits around sex? Just that whole space of your sexuality. Constantly be checking, all right? It's not a permanent report card. Five years ago, it's a constant thing. You're checking what habits am I living with? What are your habits around your sexuality? I'm not asking today, do you fornicate? Do you commit an order? No, I'm saying what kind of habit? Do you build a culture of near misses? That as I look over just the story of what happens in the space of sex, it's just, ah, almost, ah, but we thank God, eh, more or more. If not that that guy just enter, uh, yeah, near misses. You know, do you just touch anybody anyhow? Do you call anybody anything? Don't, don't let's, don't, we are done with all of that last thing. But one more. Do you, you're a lady, do you, you just sit down in boys' laps as if it's your toilet, like I just sit down, you know? What kind of habits do you have? I was going to say that last week, I forgot, so I pushed it in here. What kind of, what kind of habits do you have? Because if you just build habits that you indulge, you just, you know, indulging without principle in areas of sexuality. Those kind of habits, as you look at it, indulging without principle. I'm not saying, did anything go wrong? Did you miss? But I'm saying, if you are going into a promised land, coming out of it, that's why you must be seeing that the devil will do anything to make you circle, circle, circle. And just lose 40 years for a 22-day journey. 40 years. They buried you, your children, for a 22-day journey. We've been here, here again, again, again. So if this is going to happen, by extension, you know, those three core areas, because whether you look at it through biblical, you know, heroes or through contemporary things, you always come around those three things. You must have healthy habits if you are going to do anything great in life. Right. So through that, you now start to have expressions in how you speak, your words, your speech, you know, culture you build around relationships, conduct, all of that starts to play out. But what I want to do today is that I want to come into Romans chapter 6. Um, Romans chapter 6, pretty much, I'll just be walking, you can open it and just go to any verse you like, I'll get there before I end. It kind of, I'll just walk around a few verses and just the dominant thoughts that Paul is sharing in Romans chapter 6. And I think that what Paul does in Romans 6 will help all of us as we figure out this space of habits and as we just try to um, position ourselves to be the kind of people that are coming into all that God has for us. So let's put the light on ourselves and encourage ourselves today. Whatever habits you're dealing with, whether you're on this journey, I'll say four things to you today. And by the end of this, I believe it would really help you. Number one, I want to say to you that you must learn to see yourself through redemptive lens. See yourself through redemptive lens. And what do I mean? Right here in the middle of dealing with habits, we need to start by seeing what Jesus has already done for us. Look at Galatians 5 verse 1 again. It says that, you know, Christ has given us a liberty and uh, stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So here's where we start dealing with habits. We don't start in dealing with habits like uh, what I'm in, what's happening around and all of that. We start by seeing something that Christ has already done. Seeing ourselves through the lens of redemption, through the redemptive lens that see he brought me out of Egypt. Are you hearing me? He brought, and that means something. He brought me out of Egypt. I might be here in the wilderness 
wilderness struggling, figuring things out, going around in circles and all. But there is a story of what Christ has already started in my life. You must see yourself through redemptive lens. The devil is quick to make us see ourselves through the lens of our failures and our mistakes and what happened yesterday and what you didn't do right last week. But we must see ourselves through the lens of redemption. You're not a miserable addict. You're not, if you're a child of God, if you put your faith in Jesus, you're not just merely some, ah, I just can't help myself. I'm just messed up. I'm just a miserable addict. I can't and all of that. Listen, listen. You are saved. God is at work in your life. He put the Holy Spirit in you. You are chosen of God. You are known of God. You are loved of God. See yourself through redemptive lens. You have the Holy Spirit. This is the argument Paul starts to build in Romans 6 and then he starts to say it is a knowledge question. Romans 6 verse 3. Do you not know? He starts to bring in a knowledge question. Do you not know that as many of you as were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And so as you came out of Egypt and you're in the wilderness and you're mourning and you're miserable, he's telling you, do you not know that you are brought out from somewhere? Do you not know that where you are now, he's already working something in your life. Look at verse 6 again. Knowledge question. He says in verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him and that the body of sin might be done away. Knowing this, there's a knowledge gap. And if we become ignorant of that, then we start seeing ourselves through the lens of all that the devil is selling to us. But he says, do you not know? Know this. You're not a slave to sin. Please don't let Satan bobo you. Put on your redemptive lens and see what Jesus has done and you stand in that. You know, we're quick to say, I know myself. I know the kind of person I am. I know what I can, I know, I know. But listen to the knowledge you must hold. Knowing that my old body was crucified with Christ. Knowing this. And so, in all of that, I know, I know, I know. I know. What's the knowledge I'm holding? The lens through which I'm starting to see the conversation is through the redemptive lens of what Jesus has done. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All right, so if I see myself through redemptive lens, okay, I'm a child of God. I see myself through redemptive lens. Whether I'm one day a child of God, whether it's one hour, whether it's one minute, I can see myself through redemptive lens that Jesus has done something in my life. So that would lead me to step two. Step two now is that I must think through redemptive wisdom. Think through redemptive wisdom. So Paul starts the argument of Romans 6 and he's saying, know this, know this, know this. He's bringing the knowledge question. But by verse 11, he now starts to say, reckon yourselves, reckon yourself. Look at Romans 6, 11. You also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin and alive to God. Reckon yourself to be alive to God in, uh, to God in Christ Jesus, okay? Alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Reckon yourself. So it starts to become a how do you think? Don't reckon yourself without a substance because if there's no substance to what I I'm reckoning, I can just wake up and say, I reckon myself a billionaire in dollars. You can reckon yourself anything. Do you understand? If there's no substance to it, you're deceiving yourself. But if there's a substance to it, then I can rightly now start to say, man, I know something. Therefore, I reckon. I just saw the alert. Oh, wow. So now I reckon myself this, okay? I haven't yet touched the money, but I saw the alert. And because I believe that I know that, therefore, I now start to reckon myself a rich person. I start to reckon myself. Do you understand what I'm saying? I start to reckon. And he's saying, don't miss out on reckoning. When you have known something about what Jesus did, and I've been lived it. I saw it in the Bible. He has called me to freedom. That's the death he died so that I will not be entangled. Therefore, I start to reckon myself a particular way. You know, during the week, one of the things that amused me was I saw how people can reckon themselves. You know, after election results were announced, you have different kinds of people. You have people that you, you hear them talking, you hear their press conference. You know they really believe, ah, I want this thing and I would do anything and all of that. I reckon myself the winner and I, I was cheated. But there are other people that also come and say that, you know, we're cheated. <laughs> 
your vote, I got a one. You know, but <laughs> anybody can record himself anything. And this is not just some motivational, you know, record yourself. No, this is saying I see a substance, I know it. And therefore, I reckon myself. I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. And I'm asking today, how do you reckon yourself? Do you reckon yourself as a victim? Do you reckon yourself as helpless? Do you reckon yourself as just somebody who is in the middle of, you know, how do you reckon yourself? What we believe about Christ gives us a pattern of thinking and then we start to live out of that wisdom. There's a wisdom that flows from right thinking, right reckoning. There's a wisdom that flows from it. I reckon myself as being in a process from Egypt to the promised land. I reckon myself as being saved. I reckon myself as I will be saved. I reckon myself in that process. And so I start to collaborate with God for his process. I don't allow the devil to feel, you know how you even label things, oh, it's just my personality type. And you make all these things a justification to reckon yourself as a wrong person for wrong habits that are destroying. Do you see the picture? I'm coming out of somewhere and I'm trying to get somewhere. Then I accept that, oh, I'm not the kind of person that can do that. So you know what I do? I start to circle. I'm just the kind of person. So personality, oh, it's just the way I am. It's just the way I've been and all of that. I'm saying reckon yourself as being alive to God. Reckon yourself as being the kind of person that can fulfill the call of God. Reckon yourself as being the kind of person that can prosper in the purpose of God. Reckon yourself as being the kind of person that can go the distance in the calling of God. I'm just not a consistent person in anything in my life. Reckon yourself as being alive to God for his purpose. Reckon yourself. Reckon yourself. Reckon yourself as a serious-minded person. I'm just, hey, in me, I'm indisciplined. Reckon yourself. Because of what Jesus did, then I can reckon myself. See, you might have tendencies, eh? whether it's personality tendencies, whether it's cultural tendencies, you can have tendencies. But don't allow any tendency you have. For some of you, the pressure and the tension of dealing with a tendency might even mean that there are crosses you will carry till you see Jesus. That there are tendencies, ah, that I know, man, this is a tendency I have an idea with. But listen, because of redemptive value, every personality expression, blah, 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 can have a redemptive expression. That's what I'm saying. By tendency, you can be the kind of person that you hear something, you're already telling people, you're already gossiping. Mm? But when I know, oh, this is a vulnerability, but I reckon myself as being alive to God. So I would take advantage of that. That I'm the kind of person that when I hear something, I'm so quick. So instead of talking to people, I talk to God about it. So I start to pray for people. So instead of being a gossiper, I become a prayer warrior. Mm? And then I become a stronger Christian. Do you see what I'm saying? I have that tendency and it's always a tension, but I've told myself before I talk to talk to God about it. Alright? Um, so what would happen eventually is that even your personal tendencies can become advantages for you. Alright? Somebody say, I reckon myself alive to God. Say, I'm just the kind of person, I'm just the kind of person. Reckon yourself as the kind of person that can fulfill God's plan for your life. Because, hey, me, ask anybody around me. They don't know. I give a piece of my mind. Mm. Reckon yourself as the kind of person that can fulfill God's plan. I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. So because of that, because we see through redemptive lens, because now we think through redemptive wisdom, the third step now is that we can work through redemptive strength. So what Paul is showing us now by the time we start to build this out is that there is a working that I can say, man, I'm dealing with a habit and I'm, I've been trying on this. There's motivation now, you know, three times every day. Don't do that. Try that, that. There's all of that. Okay. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But there is, man, I see what Christ Jesus did. So I'm thinking in a particular way in line with what Christ did. Now, therefore, because of how I'm thinking, I'm working in that direction. So he's saying work through redemptive strength. 
So what you have is Paul starts to say, do you not know? Do you not know? He now says, therefore, reckon yourself. Reckon yourself. Now, look at verse 13. He now says, now, because of that in verse 13. Now, he says, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. So it now becomes a question of don't present. Now, don't do this. Now, do this. So it becomes the don'ts and the do's. But not just on the basis of, hey, don't do that again or don't do that again. No, first of all, because do you not know what Christ did? And then secondly, because now you are reckoning yourself. Now you can rightly not present and present. So this becomes intentional work. Do not present. Don't. Don't do it. It becomes intentional work. It becomes questions of what I do, how I do it, where I do it, what I don't do, when I switch off my phone, which accounts I block. It becomes real questions. What I don't give access to. But all of this, see, if I am reckoning myself or if I'm, if I'm not reckoning myself, if I'm not seeing all that Christ has done, I'm trying to do this, all of this will just be mere hustle. But this is not mere hustle because I am seeing something, I'm knowing something, I'm reckoning something. So it leads to corresponding work. I want to say to everybody this morning, please don't be lazy about the vision of what God is calling you to. There's work to it. Don't be lazy about that sense of we came out of Egypt, man, and now he's giving us a vision of the promised land and he's inviting us to it. There's work to it. There's a corresponding work to what we see. Don't be lazy about it. Don't, be, don't justify just going around in circles like we've been here now, here again. We've gone another lap. And then, hey, man, I know this place. Don't be lazy about the effort in line with what Christ has done that will align you for what he's calling you to. Don't be lazy about it. Don't be lazy about the vision of the promise that God is inviting you to been circling. You've been here for the last five years. And it's just that says, hey, that's who I am. That's how I know. Don't be lazy about the work that will change who you are. Don't be lazy about it. Proverbs 21 verse 25. The desire of the lazy man kills him for his hands refuse to labor. There is a corresponding, look at that. The desire of the lazy man. The, the man has desire. We have desire of where God is bringing us to. But he says his hands refuse to labor. There is a corresponding labor of his desire. And what we must do is that we must be the kind of people that are embracing the corresponding labor of our desire. Can you see where we're going? Can you see what he's calling us to? So what's the corresponding labor? We must be embracing it. Please put in the work of breaking habits. One step at a time. You know, put in the work. A major part of this I'm going to show next week is that we start to build habits. major part of breaking habits is building habits. And next week, in fact, next week, we're going to be doing something on building habits. All right? And that's a major part of it. But what I want to do this morning is I want to encourage people who maybe feel weak in this place of the work of breaking habits. You just feel weak in this place. I want to encourage you today. Please come on the keyboard. I want to start to learn. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10, Paul is saying, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Maybe you know that, that pressure sometimes of, man, I just feel weak. I've tried. Um, maybe you know that pain of, you know, I feel weak. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distress for Christ's sake. Look at that last line. That's where I'm going. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's something called redemptive strength. That in the place of your weakness, you can know real strength. And in the place of, I can't, I'm at the end of myself, in that place, he doesn't say when I'm weak, I will let that be made strong. No, he says in the place where I'm weak, I can know real strength right there. Because when I am weak, then I can rely on Christ. It's called redemptive strength. There is my personal, you know, human strength that I can push. And some of you have dealt with habits through the years, through a lot of that. There is what, you know, even just behavior stuff, psychology, a lot of that can do. And it's great. Trust me, it's great. That, I mean, some of you have maybe deal with habits. And for me also, through the years, dealing with habits. And I remember sometimes I'll be in that place of I feel weak. I feel like I can't help myself. I'm fed up. I'm tired. 
And then I would hear somebody say things, maybe I go for an event or a program and somebody says something and they make it look so easy. They, you know, somebody just says, amen, I used to do this a lot, but I just decided not to and, you know, I just stopped. <laughs> Is it decision we have not decided? Is it covenant we have not made? Is it blood we have not caught and put on our Bible? Like, what are you saying? One time I was somewhere, one guy came, I was in the peak of struggling with masturbation. I remember I was, one guy came and said, man, that, you know, he, he, he used to struggle with masturbation. Oh, somebody asked a question about it. So he said, oh, masturbation. <laughs> he used to struggle with it, but uh, you know what happened? Uh, he went to a zoo one day. He now saw one animal, whether it was a monkey or a baboon, masturbating. Uh, he now told himself that me and this guy, so he decided to stop and he stopped. <laughs> Is it that we have not decided? Is it that... Is that we have not promised? Is it that we have not? Is, what have we not done? And listen, there's something about a human being that can decide, and sometimes people have strong will and personality strength and all of that. And there's something sometimes about you know strong will and personality and all of that that you can make your mind and do that. There are people that will have you know an amount of money and decide that they're not spending out of it, and they just won't. And you, it's as if the money pulls your hand, spends it. Then after spending, you now come back to culture. You know, just. Sometimes you just feel like it's not me. Well, here's what I wanted to, to you to say today. Because this is not about self-will, self-strength. When it comes to a question of moving out of Egypt and moving into the promised land, it's not a question of human strength. It's not a question of personality. It's not a question of the type of... It's a question that needs redemptive strength. It's a question that, man, God has to bring me out of Egypt. I couldn't break Pharaoh's bondage. I couldn't. God had to do that. And God has to bring me into the promised land. So at that point, what I'm saying is, when you are weak, you can truly be strong. When you say, I can't, then he who is at work in you can do all things. So you can start to do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Not through yourself. Not through the way you are brought up. I'm not talking of the way you are brought up. I'm saying that today you can make up your mind. To say that I'm working through redemptive strength. You can be that kind of person. So maybe today you feel like weak in this. I'm just saying, God can help you to work through redemptive strength. But you need to know that I'm choosing to be the kind of person that reckons myself. Because I reckon myself based on what Christ has done. I make a choice to work through redemptive strength. But let me tell you something. Maybe you're asking also like, why, why does it just feel so hard? I've tried. Why does it feel so hard? Honestly, I mean, I can totally relate. Whatever that is in your context. Two things I would say. First of all, let, it might feel hard. But first of all, let's settle. Going back to Egypt is not an option. It's not an option. And so we're going to choose to say that our direction is more important than our situation. It might feel hard, but I will stay in the right direction. Going back to Egypt is not an option. So look at somebody this morning and say, going back to Egypt is not an option. We've canceled that out. And so we would stay in the right direction. If it feels hard, yeah. But we'll stay in the direction. In spite of the situation. But the thing is that I think for many of us, what we do in dealing with habits is that we're looking for a switch. We come to God and we're looking for a switch. And by switch, I mean we're looking for that. Like I want to get the lights on. Where's that place I should turn on? So this is what to do. Ah, the lights come on. This is what to do. This is where to control it. This is what. So I'm looking for where's that, where's that prayer point? Where's that prayer meeting? What is that anointing service? What is that one day fasting? What is that 30-day fasting? What is that this thing that will just change and just take this away? That man, I've been procrastinating all my life, but I just want this thing. This. So we're looking for like a switch. Like let this happen. And so in desperation, man, Times we're trying many things to be a switch, and then it comes back because the thing is, many times when we are looking for a switch, God is actually building a system. 
Am I saying that, you know, in walking with God, there are no switches like, man, I just walked into a prayer meeting and bam, that was the last time. No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying every time you see somebody turn on a switch, he's turning on a switch because they've built in a system. And so what you didn't know is that many times for layers and layers, God was working a system and then there was something that seemed to push out. But where we are looking for switches, God is building a system. Be careful of looking for a switch solution where God is doing the work of working a system in you. Because God is not just about what you are achieving in moments. He's about what he's making you for eternity. He's not just about like, oh, today, you know, do you know how many times, hey, are you with me, anybody? Do you know how many times you wrote the date and you said, this is the last date? How many times? Anybody with me? You wrote that date, you know, you signed it, you wrote, you threw it inside the river, whatever you did, and it's like, this is the last, this is the one, this is the one, you know, and all of that. God is not just about the achievement, the gold medal. God is about what he's making you for eternity. So be careful of looking for a switch, a switch solution where God says there's a system we have to rework. And what you need to understand about habits is that habits are not just a question of nature. There is a nature question, an identity statement that we have to, we have to see what Christ did. But the point is, you did something once, you kind of tasted good, felt good, you know, I came back to it or I always got my way around it, indulged. So uh, I did it a few more times, I liked it, wasn't too conscious, practice, practice was making perfect. Um, I started to build expertise. Um, I started to become more and more familiar. I started to know my way around it. I started to know how to do it with safety. I started to know how to get my way away when nobody, you know, I started to build expertise. And in many ways, I built a culture. And so what you don't realize is that what you are eventually meeting yourself at this conscious time of how to deal with something is that you have a culture question. Yes, there's a nature question of sin. Which, once and for all, Jesus destroys and takes away the bondage of the devil. So the nature question is dealt with. So it's not my nature. But I have a culture. I have a culture, don't I? I have a practice. I have a familiarity. I know a smell. I know a place. I know a time. I know a way. I know a person. I know how. I know. So there is a culture. Even if you change my identity, my nature, what Jesus has done, there's a culture. I was telling them in first service some years ago, my wife and I were... We're with a group of people. We're in Dubai with a group of people. And we're going to spend most of the day together. So there was like, hey, introduce yourselves. What country are you from? So oh, my, me and my wife, we're from France. Uh, me and my wife, Morocco, uh, Congo. People were all saying their country. Not many, maybe 10 or less. Then there was this guy that as we came together, I looked at this guy. This guy is Nigerian now. Like, you know how you say Nigerian anywhere in the world, you that more But the guy now said that, um, I'm, my name is, I'm from Britain. Uh, uh, my wife and I kind of uh, so anyway I said oh, I'm totally Debola we're from Nigeria so and the guy looked at us we wouldn't say anything so we're going to spend a lot of the day together so as the day started to play out you know so it's possible it's possible to give the guy credit it's possible maybe he had gotten one British passport something or something like but as we started to spend the day together the culture will come out now <laughs> the guy now started coming around me that hey, hey, uh, did you just come what, uh, what bro we know where we are from. You know, you know our people. You know the way our people. Yeah, that's, that's the point. You can be carrying a British passport but have a Nigerian culture. And the issue here is that what Jesus has done has changed our nature once and it's true. But we have a culture that we know. And so when we're looking for a switch solution and I'm saying, man, there's a... And you're saying, why is it hard? Please, what I want to say to you is don't mistake in the layers and layers that are being unlearned. Don't mistake in the process of unlearning layers and layers and layers for nothing is happening. 
He is transforming me. Romans chapter 12. It says from verse 1, that, you know, brethren, I beseech you by the mercy of God to offer yourselves a living sacrifice. Verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't mistake it, a process of transformation as nothing is happening. Jesus said to them, he said, start to fill the wine pots. And they started to fetch and fill, fetch and fill. It looks natural, fetch and fill. Nothing is happening. It's water becoming wine, fetch and fill. Do what he told you to do. And sometimes you're in that process of doing what he told me to do. He told me to be with the people of God. He told me to be in the house of God. But I'm tasting it and it is still water. But do what he told you to do. That's the instructions he gave them. Do what he told you to do. And I'm in the process of doing what he told me to do. I'm reading the Bible and it looks ordinary. But do what he told you to do. The water looks ordinary. Do what he told you to do. I'm staying in that process. Don't mistaking layers and layers and layers and layers of him working a system in me for nothing is happening. Do what he told you to do. But suddenly the master of the feast said, uh-uh. The water had become wine. When did it happen? I don't know. But I know it's somewhere in the process of doing what he told you to do. Of staying in what he told you to stay in. Of being where he told you to be. Of putting yourself there. But sometimes we've walked two weeks and then we feel like, ah, I've prayed about this thing, nothing has happened. No, don't say nothing is happening. Something is happening. Something is happening. For they all go from strength to strength, each one who appears before God in Zion. You can't be before God and nothing is happening. We are with unveiled face, beholding us in the mirror of the glory of the Lord. We are being changed from glory to glory. Something is happening. But honestly, friends, maybe today, which came to church, you're in that place of, it's heavy. It's painful, it's difficult, it's hard. Sometimes it feels hard. Let me say one last thing. Tim, please come. One last thing. First of all, I've said, see yourself. See yourself through the redemptive lens. And I see, Jesus did something for me. I see it. I see it. I see it. I keep looking at it in his word. And secondly, I reckon myself. I reckon myself. I'm the kind of person that is alive to God. In Christ Jesus, I reckon myself. I reckon myself. I reckon myself as one God is working in, not one that is failing. I reckon myself. I reckon myself. Reckon, reckon. Because of what Jesus did, I reckon, I reckon. And then thirdly, I start to do the work. Present my members. Do not present my members. I start to make the hard calls, the hard decisions. Presenting my members. Sometimes it's presenting my phone. Sometimes it's not presenting my phone. Sometimes it's presenting my email account. Sometimes it's not presenting my computer. Understand? It's hard work. It's presenting my time. It's not presenting my I'm doing all of that, but maybe you're in all of that and you just feel many heavy. Here's the fourth thing that I'm going to say to you today as I close. Fourthly, I would say hope in the redemptive promise. Hope in the redemptive promise. Hope in the redemptive promise. Because what Paul does in Romans 6 is that, you know, he shows us the whole trajectory of how you think, how you see, and then he shows us, you know, what we must know, how we must record, the work we must do. But listen to where he ends the, the, the chapter in chapter 6, verse 23. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I came to remind somebody today, hey, here's the gift of God. The God who came to you when you were in Egypt and he pulled you out and he said, I'm walking a journey with you. Here's the gift of God. The gift of God is not frustration in the wilderness. The gift of God is not an emptiness and frustration. And every one more time, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The gift of God has an eternity on it. The gift of God has a stamp of life on it. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The gift of God is a hope that we can lift up our eyes to in the middle of a wilderness. And I say, man, but there's pain here. But hey, 
guess what? The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The gift of God is inviting me to a story of what Christ Jesus has already accomplished for me. And so what I want to say today, friends, lift up your eyes. Maybe right now you're in the middle of that wilderness and it's like I'm here again, but listen to the promise again. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The gift of God is not abandoning you in the wilderness. The gift of God is not bringing you out, starting something and abandoning it. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Maybe you failed more times than you can count. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Maybe it feels like, man, the layers and layers of what God is doing in my life in the middle of... Maybe it feels like my personality just... I just struggle. I just don't even... Listen, the gift of God is a story of life. It's not a story of frustration, desperation, pointless. It is a story of life. And here's what I want to say to everybody today. Listen, God has a pattern of completing what he started. God has a pattern of completing what he started. If he started a redemptive work in your life, he didn't bring you out of Egypt to abandon you in the wilderness. Listen, God has a pattern of completing what he started. When a whole generation of the Israelites, they were murmuring, they, they lived in all those and they died in the wilderness. Do you know what God did? God completed the process of what he had promised. Even if they didn't see it, their children saw it because God has a pattern of completing what he started. I want to be the kind of person that will see what Jesus has paid for on that cross and I will record myself. I will record Record myself, I'm the kind of person that is alive towards God in Christ Jesus. And so day after day, as I put in the work to build the habits, to break the habits, to be the kind of person to run on the rhythms of redemption, I will record that there is a hope of redemption. God is going to complete what he started. God is going to complete what he started. Listen to Galatians 5 and verse 5. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. As the Holy Ghost begins to work in me and prompt a reminder I eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness I'm not I'm not desperately looking over the pain of the past I am eagerly hoping I'm eagerly waiting for the hope of righteousness by faith that's the working of the Holy Spirit in me I eagerly hope I eagerly look forward to the full picture of redemption so I, I have been saved I am being saved by the Holy Spirit I long for the day of my glorification I long for the day when the presence of sin and of all its tendencies is taken away over my life forever and I with the Lord will look in his eyes and just as he is I will be forever eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith so 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 12 listen to this last scripture and I'm done therefore since we have such hope we use great boldness of speech because I've got this hope this redemptive hope God doesn't abandon what he started because I've got this hope I use great boldness of speech when I wake up tomorrow and I'm telling myself God is at work in me and I know man I'm feeling pain and frustration but hey son God is at work in me God is not abandoning what he started God is at work in me I'm becoming more and more like Jesus I've been changed I've been transformed with ever increasing glory I'm becoming like Jesus you know why I get the boldness? Because there is a hope. Because we have this hope. We use great boldness of speech. Man, let me just say to somebody who has failed, who has fallen. Let me say to somebody this morning who came to church and you're like, well, you don't understand. Like all my life, I have known just a pattern and a cycle of failure. Listen, the hope is more powerful than your failure. The promise is more powerful than your pain. Because of this hope, we use great boldness of speech. 
I am not a victim. I'm not a victim of where I'm coming from. I am being changed and in the name of Jesus, God will see it through. I am being changed from glory to glory. I'm being changed. I am the kind of person that prospers in the purpose of God for my life. I will be the man that God calls me to be. I'll be the man that God calls me to be. In Jesus' name, who says amen this morning? Come on, let's clap our hands this morning. Let's clap our hands, everybody. If you're not standing, stand, everybody online. And I want us to sing out in confidence this morning. Come on. You never stop, you never stop working. Everybody, even when I don't see it. Somebody needs to pray today. And if anything, I want you to begin to reckon yourself. See through redemptive lens and begin to reckon yourself through what Jesus has done. <laughs> begin to reckon yourself. Today's not a day to start to justify. May I know why I'm always late. May I know why. May I know why. Today's a day to see through redemptive lens and begin to reckon yourself alive to God. Alive to God alive to God in Christ Jesus. Somebody begin to pray. Say, I am the kind of man, I'm the kind of woman that prospers in the purpose of God. Say, in the name of Jesus, I'm the man, I'm the woman that prospers in the calling of God. Say, in the name of Jesus, I'm consistent. I am disciplined in the name of Jesus. I don't indulge anyhow. I don't live loose. I don't talk anyhow. I don't live cheaply with my words. I don't rant anyhow. Say, in the name of Jesus, I'm the kind of person that is disciplined. This is how I reckon myself. And I see myself through redemptive lens. I reckon myself through redemptive wisdom. And in the name of Jesus, I am working out. I'm working out. Say, in the name of Jesus, I'm doing what it takes to build the habits that will run the rhythms of God's grace in my life. I will build habits. I'm not going to circle this wilderness forever. Come on, you've been here for years. Come on, come on. You've been here for too long. You've gone around this mountain for too long. Come on, come on. At some point in your life, something needs to see why God brought you out of Egypt. Something needs to see why God brought you out of Egypt. Come on. God brought you out of the world. He put you in his church. Not to just be going around in circles. It's to find influence. To find the, 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 the expressions of the life he put in you. To find expressions for the giftings, for the callings. For the purpose of God on your life. 
For how long will you waste it? For how long will you be that kind of person? I'm just that kind of person. I'm just that kind of person. Come on, somebody. Come on. Come on. Come on. Pray today. I reckon myself. I reckon myself alive to God. I reckon myself alive to God. I reckon myself alive to God. Let every excuse begin to crumble in this moment. Let every lie of the devil begin to crumble in this moment. Let every story the devil told you about why you are living low, why you are going around in the wilderness, let it crumble in this moment. I reckon myself alive to God in Christ Jesus. If Jesus went up that cross, it was for freedom and I will stand firm in that freedom. Come on, I reckon myself alive to God in Christ Jesus. I reckon myself alive to God. I'm the kind of person, the kind of person that loves God, that puts God first, that worships Him, that is sold out to Jesus. I'm the kind of person that is sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I'm the kind of person, I'm the kind of person, I'm, I reckon myself. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody say in the name of Jesus, I see myself through redemptive lens. Say in the name of Jesus, I think in the wisdom of redemption. Say in the name of Jesus, I work in the strength of redemption. And say in the name of Jesus, I hope in the promise of redemption. Amen. Amen. While we all stay standing, I want to make an invitation for somebody and I want to encourage everybody online also to stand in this moment. I want to make an invitation for somebody who came to church today and you can't see you're in the right place with God. You see, the reason why we can see ourselves in the light of redemption and hope and think and all of that it's because we put our trust in it. It's because we believed it. Because we put our faith in it. We build our lives on it. And so this is not just us trying to say, I mean, we want to be positive about our lives. This is us building our lives on a foundation of who Jesus is. And if you came in here this morning and maybe you're new in church, maybe you've been coming, really doesn't matter. But if you came in here today and you can't boldly say that you're in the right place with God, it's no use. It's no use playing God games or coming around, you know, you can get it right. You can allow redemption today to become your story. Not just the story of people around. Why would you be in a beautiful experience and be in a corner struggling? Jesus loves you. Jesus knows you. Jesus knows the worst about you. He knows the worst. <laughs> he knows every promise broken. He knows every failure. He knows the worst. Even the ones you've forgotten, he knows it. But he believes the best for you. Because of what his son Jesus did on that cross. He believes you can be a right person. He can wash you clean today. The guilt, failure, shame is taken away today. So that you can have a right standing with him. Can we make today that day that you will put your trust in Jesus. And say Jesus I am done trying it myself. I rely on what you did to have a right standing with God. That's what we all stand in in this moment. And if you say, you're speaking to me, I want to pray that prayer. Let me ask everybody right now, close our eyes, bow our heads, and let's give a friend an honest moment. Let somebody who came to church today, somebody online today, just have that right to say, I'm making a choice today. 
If you say you're speaking to me, I'm not right with God. I want to be made right. It's real simple. Because of what Jesus did, all you need to do is to pray a prayer and it's going to come right, right now. So if you say you're speaking to me, I want you to put your hand on your chest. I'm going to count to three. I'm going to have you put your hand on your chest at count of three as a sign of your surrender today, as a sign of your choice today. Are you ready? I need forgiveness. I need a savior. I need to be washed clean. I need a new beginning. One, two, three. Put your hand on your chest. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. See people in the room. I believe there are people online also. God bless you. This is a miracle. This is a miracle. Nobody comes to God and he turns you back. This is a miracle. Congratulations. Thank you. Anybody else want to join in? Don't harden your heart on God today. Anybody else? God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I believe there are people online also. You know what? This is a family, not a crowd. We're all going to identify with you. I'm going to ask everybody to say this prayer together. But everybody with your hand on your chest today, I want you to say these words boldly. Know that God hears your voice. He knows you and he sees you. Can we all say together today, Heavenly Father, I come to you today because you've made a way for me to come through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of your son, Jesus. So I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world. Say today, I make it the day that I confess Jesus as my savior and my Lord. Please forgive me of the past and give me a whole new start. I give everything to follow you. I surrender my life to you. I will live for you by your grace. I will follow you all the days of my life. And one day, I'll be with you in heaven. I declare it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for joining us here at Sycamore Church. If you pray that prayer at the end, we are so excited about your decision for Jesus and we would love to help you get established in your relationship with him. So please let us know about your decision at www.sycamore.church forward slash Jesus. There you'll also find all kinds of resources to help you build your relationship with Jesus. If you enjoyed this message, we would love for you to subscribe wherever you are listening or visit www.sycamore.church forward slash resources. Again, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.